Welcome to Ride Every Stride, episode 66. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis, a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm back again with Master Horseman Van Hargis. And how are you today, Van? Miss Laura, I'm just absolutely wonderful. I mean, you know, this is, some know, but I, I, I try to express this as much as possible. This is absolutely my favorite time of year. I love spring. I love spring in South Texas because down here from Central Texas to South Texas, there's just an absolute array of wildflowers already blooming. We've got blue bonnets, uh, which is my favorite, of course. And then we've got the Indian paintbrushes. It's just beautiful. Just happy to be in South Texas, that's for sure. Very cool. Yeah, it's pretty up here too. We've had some really nice uh, warm weather, so I'm, I'm happy about that. I've had the windows open the last couple of days and that always makes me happy. So what are we talking about today, Van? Well, Laura, today we're going to talk about the horse profession um, and the horse professional. The reason I decided to talk about that was I was just recently asked for someone about how do I find a good, reputable trainer? Uh, and, and I thought, you know, I, I know hundreds of guys out there, but also know lots and lots of people who are, let's just say, aspiring trainers, and they really don't have the number of horses, the experience under their belt yet to be what I would really consider them earning the right to call themselves trainers. And I know that's really tough for folks to swallow. There's a lot of guys out there, a lot of women that work really hard to aspire to be trainers. And I just don't think they quite realize, honestly, how long it takes. It's not something that we can just kind of go to school for, pass a test, and shazam, call ourselves a trainer. So those are some of the things we're going to talk about today. And we're going to bring out or throw out some statistics that some people may not be aware of. Like, for example, did you know that 97% of the people that are involved with horses today are involved with horses as a hobby? In other words, they're, they're hobbyists. And then there's only 3%, if you can imagine, of all the people that have horses, only 3% of those that are involved with horses are professionals in some way, meaning that they make a living and make their, their sole living on horses or horsemanship. So th- that basically means that the majority of us are in the horse industry just for the fun of it. So I I tell those folks that if you're in that, by golly, make sure you're having fun. But from time to time, we do need a horse professional, uh, you know, professional horse trainer. And so we're going to touch a little bit on on that, Laura, because, you know, obviously I've been a I've been a professional legally, if you want to call it that or technically I've been a professional since I was 12. What constitutes a professional in the horse industry is that if you've ever accepted money for providing a service with the horse industry, whether you've given a lesson, whether or not you've trained a horse for money, whether or not you've given advice to someone, and if you've accepted remuneration for that, then you're technically a horse professional, which means now that you can no longer compete and participate as an amateur in the horse industry, especially in certain associations, American Quarter Association, the Reining Association, the Cutting Association, most legitimate associations, if you've ever earned any money at all, in the horse industry, then you're technically a professional. So we want to be very, very careful about that. I wanted to point that out. But one thing that kind of I touch on a little bit is 
because the horse training is very difficult. You know, it's not one of those high paying type jobs. It's not one of those real glamorous type jobs. So as a result of that, a lot of people try it. And sadly, a lot of people fail at it. And um, it's, it's just one of those things I just want people to realize that just because someone, quote unquote, calls themselves a horse trainer doesn't mean they're successful at doing so. This means they might be working at it pretty darn hard. But again, it's kind of up to us to kind of do our little research and find out how much horse training experience, how much professional experience does that person truly have. Another thing I want to do is kind of emphasize to those that are outside of the horse profession to kind of consider those that have kind of paid their dues and have kind of earned the right to be a professional, to kind of respect them as a professional. And this is where we have to do a lot to educate our clients. For example, it's taken me years to finally get brave enough, if you will, not to be accessible 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For example, Laura, you're an attorney, and I know that you take a tremendous amount of pride in what you do as a professional attorney. But don't you have certain hours that you will do business, so to speak, with your clients? In other words, you know, how would you feel if they decided, hey, Laura, I know you're having fun with your family today on this Sunday afternoon, uh, but I've got a question for you. Can you handle this for me? And as much as you want to try to, to, to provide that service for them, you've got regular operating hours. And most of the time as an attorney, your hours are extremely long anyway. But we as professionals sometimes have to provide boundaries. Yeah, and, and those are the, usually what I call professional boundaries. Yep, go ahead. I'm sorry. Easier said than done, and I know that's true for you as well as it is for me. Because the fact is, even as an attorney, I do get those emails from clients on the Sunday afternoon, or you know, Saturday morning, or eleven o'clock at night. And setting those boundaries is really important for me, and and I'm sure for you as well, for you know, professional horsemen and horsewomen. Yes. And the thing is, too, that's where I kind of wanted the folks to just be very keenly aware of that line between hobbyist and professional. For example, in my you know day-to-day training, we do everything pretty much like most other folks. We go to work in the morning and we get done late in the afternoon and sometimes late up in the evening. So we work very long hours during the week. And then, of course, on the weekends, like a lot of trainers, Rather than going to horse shows like what I used to do, now I go to either speaking engagements or expositions or I do clinics for folks. So it's pretty much a seven-day-a-week job. And it's not really a job to me because it is one of those things that I enjoy so much. But what I also want folks to do, just because I enjoy it, I don't want folks to think that it's okay to expect, I guess you could say, your horse professional to kind of bend the rules just for you because, well, I work during the week, so can I come see you on the weekends? And if that guy says, no, I'm not available, I think just as a profession, you just need to respect that, that yes, that guy works during the week too, and he also works on the weekends and he does all this other stuff. So just because it's your hobby and you're available on the weekends doesn't necessarily mean that your professional trainer, your professional horse trainer can be at your beck and call on the weekends because you're working during the week. Keep in mind, your professional horse trainer is also working during the week. And this is something, again, I had to learn the hard way uh, many, many years ago. I had to learn the hard way to consider my family. You see, I was, I was working really hard, riding a lot of horses so that I could provide for my family. But after a while, I was just a provider. I, did, I realized that, oops, man, I'm, I'm providing. My kids are doing okay, but I don't ever get to see my kids because yeah. I was so busy providing and trying to work for them and trying to appease my clients, which I felt like that I needed. I had to have those clients 
So I really bent the rules a lot for the, for the clients, but sadly it was to the detriment of the family life. And, and that's one thing I want to kind of relay to the trainers and the, those professionals out there, especially the young ones that are just coming up. Don't allow yourself to think that you're so desperate that you have to bend the rules so much that you deprive yourself of that private time and your family time, because that truly, in my opinion, is the greatest priority. What good are you to your family if you're working so hard that you never get to see and experience your family? And, and at the same time, I think that kind of, and again, this was something that I began to learn. One of my daughters is a lot like me. She tries to work all the time. She's studying all the time. And I'm thinking, darn, you know, I trained her that way. She saw me do it and she thought, oh, that's what you do. And then as a result, guess what she fusses about? Oh, I don't get to spend enough time with the boys. I don't get to spend enough time with the kids. So oftentimes we have to realize as, as we're up and coming, and especially once we get children, those kids are watching us and those kids are watching the patterns that we're setting as professionals. And if they define success as just head down, ass up working all the darn time, then that's what they're going to try to do to be successful. So we, as a professional, we sometimes have to learn, draw that line with your clientele. And if that clientele is the type of person that's going to get so upset you know, that you can't make it on a Saturday or a Sunday forum, then it's probably not the type of client that you really want anyway. I would think that the you know the clients the the people listening who are potential clients for trainers they ought to understand what you've just described because those those things are true for all of us whatever our job is whatever our profession is we're, we've got to balance doing a good job in whatever that profession is and making sure we're doing a good job as a parent, we're being present for our families. And I would think that if it's explained that way to people, they're go going to understand, okay, I get that. You need to have time with your family too. You're working all week. I can't expect you to work all weekend as well. But I think maybe folks just don't think about that because well, A, they're not there when you're working during the week, so they don't, they don't see what you're doing. And B, well, you just love riding horses anyway, so it's fun for you, right? <laughs> right, right. And, you know, and I want to mention a little story. Um, one of my friends and colleagues called not too long ago, and he said, Van, do you mind if I just kind of share a story with you? And he said, I don't want to just burden you with all my troubles. He said, but man, I'm just really bothered by this. And I said, what is it? And he said, you know, and he's one of the hardest working young horsemen I know. I mean, he really does. He works extremely hard. His wife is involved with, with his training. So the two of them are out there just, you know, busting their can constantly. And they've got two very young children. So I can very much relate to what, what they're experiencing. So he called and he says, man, I'm just, I, I just don't know what to do. I, this one lady brought me a really, really tough horse and we were working with it and we'd worked with it for a couple of months and the horse is just finally doing really, really well. And, um, but the client called one day and she goes, well, Stephen, can I come out this weekend and, and watch? And he said, well, normally I'd say yes, but you know, my young son is in wrestling and he's got a wrestling tournament this weekend and I'm the coach and I, I, I need to go to that wrestling match and wrestle I mean, and, and coach my son. Well, okay. She said, and, but you could, Stephen said that you could tell a certain amount of disappointment in her voice. Well, then another time the lady called again, wanting to know, and again, it was on a weekend wanting to know if she could come out. And she says, well, my daughter has surgery on Monday, but they want her to come into the hospital on Sunday. So I'm not going to be available on Sunday like you've requested. 
And again, she was disappointed. Well, before you know it, she just calls us, um, you know, later on during the week, the following week, she called and says, you know, you just don't seem to have time for me anymore. So we're just going to come pick up our horse. We're going to have another trainer come pick it up for us. And Stephen thought, well, darn it, really upset him and disappointed him. But, you know, it's her horse, her, her decision. So he agreed to that. But then when the trainer come out, the other trainer come out to pick up the horse, that person was pretty kind of, uh, kind of bitter about the whole thing, basically accusing him of not riding and providing a good service for the horse. And, uh, but he didn't get argumentative. He simply helped them load the horse in the trailer and, and send it away. But Stephen's a lot like me, meaning that he takes a tremendous amount of pride in what he does. He works very hard for the betterment of the horse. And he also works very hard on the relationships that he establishes with his clients. And even though there was part of him that said, hey, this is just business, the other side was hurt. You know, he was truly upset by the fact that there's somebody out there now that's upset with him and not truly for what he perceived as a justifiable reason. And in my opinion, too, I knew exactly where he was coming from. And I, too, don't think that that was necessarily a justifiable reason for the client to be so upset and then for the other professional to basically make pretty much false accusations. And all I can say for Stephen is, you know, just thank goodness that he had enough character, enough pride and respect for himself that he didn't get engaged, if you will, in in the fuss and the argument with with, that the lady basically chose to have with herself, you know, the the other trainer. And uh, but that's something, though, that really brought. As soon as he mentioned that to me, I thought, my goodness, that's going to be perfect for the next podcast because that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the the thing is, it, it really is unfair for her to say, well, you just don't have time for me anymore. Well, sweetheart, I got all the time you want. Come on Tuesday. Come on Thursday. Ex- you know, that's when exactly, I'm working. Yeah. Right. Take a day off and from work ex- and come, come and watch me work your horse. And that's what I told him. I said, Stephen, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, you know, you just mentioned, you know, taking your daughter for the surgery. I said, prior to that, how do you think your surgeon or her primary physician would have felt if you'd have said, hey, doc, can I come see you on Sunday afternoon? Because I'm really busy during the week doing my real job. So can I come out and hang out with you on Sunday to ask all the questions, um, you know, about, you know, sending our daughter in for surgery? And chances are that professional, that other doctor professional would have said, no, you're going to need to make an appointment and come during the week. You see, because, and that's what, that's what I want the, the young professionals to think is like, set your hours. Doesn't mean you're, they're set in stone. Doesn't mean that you can't be a little bit flexible, but set the hours and respect those hours yourself and then pass those hours on to your clients, publicize them, use them on social media. In other words, let people know what your hours are, but then you have to really abide as close as you can by the hours yourself. In other words, if you don't treat yourself respectfully and professionally, your clients won't either. And so that's where I really wanted to convey to the younger folks and the younger trainers, the lesser experienced trainers coming up, is to set those hours. And and I'm not saying be mean and cruel and, and cold-blooded about it. Just no, but just be professional so that at least now your your clients and your prospective clients have a better parameter or a better set of or better idea of your parameters so that they know how to work within your schedule. If they need to take a couple of hours off early one afternoon to come and, and visit with you and get some consultation, then great. Or if they need to go into work late one day, a little bit early, or maybe take a long lunch so that they can come out and hang out with you and watch what's going on with your horse. That to me would be very respectful of your profession. Well, and, and I don't think it's too much for us to ask when these people are investing a tremendous amount of money in the horse and then also a tremendous amount of money 
in the training for them to be able to take that time off as a priority. Yeah. And it may be particularly for a younger trainer that's just starting out, depending on who their clientele might be, that maybe the hours you set for yourself are going to include a weekend day and you take a day off during the week. Maybe your day's off for Sunday and Monday or something. But the the point still remains that working all the time, all the time, all the time, and never doing anything else, never having a day off, never having time to spend with your family, isn't healthy for any of us, much less uh, somebody who, like you, does a very physically demanding job, physically and mentally demanding job. So you 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 need to. I, I think all of us need, and I'm, you know, I'm talking to everybody, including myself, we all need to have time off. But for somebody who's running a business like you do, setting those hours, figuring out what, what the right hours are, right, right days, all of that, setting that, and then managing expectations by making sure everybody knows upfront, these are the days I work. Right. I think that's a great idea. And you know, many years ago, that's what I used to do as well. I used to take like uh, Mondays and Tuesdays off. And Mondays and Tuesdays became my weekend. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is because my girls were going to school right. during regular hours, Monday through Friday. So me taking off Monday and Tuesday still deprived me of my time with my kids and deprived my kids of their time with their dad. So sometimes when we've got that, we just have to kind of juggle those things the best we can. But I think, too, the best thing for us to do is just set those hours, whatever they may be, and and be upfront and honest with your with your customers and your clients so that they know what to expect and they don't don't inadvertently develop unrealistic expectations yeah. of uh you know of of your time. And now the other thing with that too from that's from the professional aspect. Now on the other side of it I'd like to visit a little bit about what I would like to see prospective clients if you're in the if you're in the market for a horseman and you're in the market for a professional trainer, horse trainer then what are some of the things you need to look for? And that's where people really need to do a lot of due diligence. They need to do their own research. Number one, just start asking about, you know, ask your friends, ask your other horse friends and your other horse professionals. Is there someone in your area that they would recommend? And if there is, then call and converse and visit with that person. Find out if you can, because if that person doesn't communicate very well, then you're probably, even though you, he might be a great horseman and do really good with your horse, but if he can't communicate to you what's being done, then that might not necessarily be the right, right trainer for you. So you do want to visit with them, converse with them, even drop a few emails just to see how quickly they respond. If they text and you text, then you might want to send them a text message or two just to see how quickly they respond. And, and that kind of sets the tone for what the relationship might be if you decide to take your horse there. And then when you do take your horse there, you want to kind of look around, check out the facility, ask yourself, does this facility at least compare to the facility in which the horse is used to? In other words, is it as good or better than what he's used to at home? Or is it a real downturn from what he's used to at home? In other words, is it likely that the horse is either going to be neglected or may end up getting in an unsafe environment around too much wire or equipment that's laying around that might end up hurting the horse? And you just want to make that a judgment and that assessment for yourself. And, and the reason I say that is I got so tickled one time. This was many years ago, and I was adding on another horse barn to my facility. And as I was adding that barn, I kind of had a makeshift gate there. Now, believe me, it was a safe gate, 
But the, the, when the lady brought her horse to me and we, we put the horse in that particular barn and we put a little makeshift gate there for it, um, she come out several days later and she complained because her horse was in this makeshift stall and uh, just felt like it wasn't really good for her horse. So I went ahead and put it into another stall. This is she requested. And at the end of the term, when, when we got her horse finished in training, she asked if I could deliver the horse home for her. And she was only just down the road, maybe 30 or 40 minutes. So I did. I loaded the horse in the trailer and I carried it to the directions in which she gave me. And I couldn't believe my eyes, Laura. I looked up and there was more junk in this horse's pasture where it was going to be turned out. I mean, there was like farm equipment. There was wire that was rolled up, but very loose and accessible to the horse. And basically, it was just in an un, totally unsafe environment, in my opinion, just because I know. If horses can get hurt, they will get hurt. I mean, it's just, they're curious creatures, you know, and they, and if there's something around for them to get hurt on, they're going to get hurt. Well, this stuff was everywhere. And all I could think of is how she got so upset and angry with me because I had her horse in a stall that was, that had a makeshift gate. Mm -hmm. And that was a very safe gate, but I thought, man, by comparison, this horse was in, you know, (laughs) he was in a five-star hotel by comparison. (laughs) But sometimes I just want folks to realize that, you know, if you if you take your horse to a trainer and, and his place looks unsafe or her place looks unsafe, and at least not to the standards of what your home facility is, then, yeah, you might want to reconsider it. But be realistic as well, you know, and, and be very mindful of, the, of that setting. And at the same time, as you interview the trainer, you want to ask how much experience he's had, how much professional experience he's had, how much, uh, how much horse training experience he's had, who has he worked for, and how long did he work for them? Because you see some people, and I see this a lot, you know, young kids getting out of high school, they're not doing so good in the job hunting thing, so they're going to go back to mom and dad's place, put up a few round pen panels, and call themselves a professional horse trainer because they've been riding horses since they were 10 years old. And if that person has not worked underneath the uh, the structure of another professional, that's probably not the kid that I want riding my horse because he doesn't really know how to provide a good service. He might be a good rider, quote unquote rider, you know, by my definition, a really, really good passenger. But what does he know about training? Because you see, in order to be a trainer, you've got to be a phenomenal communicator, not necessarily with people and verbally. But you've got to be able to break things down in such a way that the horse can learn that. So if, if the young kid, even though he's very reasonably priced, doesn't have a tremendous amount of experience in working with horses and training horses, then that's probably not going to be the best bet for you or your horse. So I just want those folks to be aware to do your due diligence and research. Ask, ask others around you. Ask the feed stores. Um, you don't want to take your horse to a trainer who's in debt up to his eyeballs at the feed store. You know, it just means he's probably not feeding the horses right or, and he's not managing his money very well if he's in debt at the feed store. So you want to ask around, you know, for advice on, on horsemen and professional horsemen. Well, so, you know, this raises a question for me and we have talked about this some, so I, I know part of the answer, but you've pointed out a couple of times that the, and it's very true that literally anybody can just put up a couple round pen panels and call themselves a trainer and start charging money to whoever will bring a horse to them. At what point, and, and in a way, that's you sort of started out as a trainer, as a young kid, because somebody knew you rode horses a lot and came and asked you to train your horse. At what point... 
did you feel like you were qualified to call yourself a professional? At what point in your, you know, your progress through all of this and what did you do to get yourself to that point? That is a good question, Laura, because actually it was a very scary moment for me because keep in mind, my stepfather was a part-time horse trainer and I was around a lot of other trainers. So for me to get brave enough to call myself at a level that these other professionals that I had such keen respect for, for me to put myself on the same level as them by calling myself a trainer, I, in fact, I didn't give myself that title. Everybody else finally did because I was afraid to do it. I didn't see myself at that level, and I darn sure didn't want to disrespect those who I thought so much of by, by including myself in their company. And it wasn't until other people basically said, oh, man, you're, you're a sure good trainer. Even though they were bringing me the horse here and there, and I was riding it for them, and I was accepting money. So technically, like I said earlier, technically I was a professional. I just didn't call myself such. I didn't feel like I had earned the title yet. And it, it, again, it was later until people began to say, you know, out loud, they would say, oh, well, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to call my trainer. And they were talking about me and I'm thinking, wow, they, they called me a trainer. And then some of my colleagues, some of the guys that I had a lot of respect for, they would say, Van, you're, you're getting to be a pretty good trainer. You're getting to be a pretty good horseman. And they, oh, wow. Did you hear that? Mr. Ely called me a trainer. And it, and it wasn't until they began to, those other folks began to kind of put that title on me that I began to accept wearing the hat, so to speak. And, and I was the same way when two of the best professionals or two of the best professionals I know of in the industry, it was those guys that called me a master horseman. And when they first called me that, my face blushed. I just couldn't believe that they would refer me to that. And it took quite a few repetitions of that word to me before I finally accepted it. And, and then finally, I even asked one of them, Mr. Brainerd, why did you, why did you start calling me a master? He said, not so much because of what you're doing with a horse, but your understanding to the point to where you can communicate what you know with a horse with everybody else. That's, that's the, where the mastery comes in. There's a lot of guys out there that can ride horses as good or better than you can, Van, but very few can do both. And that's why he gave me that title. Well, then I, not too long ago late or not too long after that, I was able to ask the other fellow, Mr. George, why do you? Why did you start referring to me as a master? And it was for the same reasons he told me that, you know, not so much for what you can do, but what you do and how you communicate it. It was those two things. So to answer your question, when did I start kind of calling myself a professional and when did I start kind of acting professional or or as a professional? It was kind of after everybody else kind of started giving me that label. And then once they did, it was almost like it, almost like it put a different spring in my step. And that's when I really got serious about it. That's when I thought, wow, if these guys think that I'm good enough to be in the same category as them, I can't let them down. I need to really work hard and I need to study more. I need to work hard and, and go work with other trainers more and more so that I can absorb more so that I don't let my colleagues down. And see, and that's what bugs me today so much when I'm watching a lot of young folks come up. And, and I'm not talking about just in the horse industry. I'm talking about as a profession in general. Okay, got out of school now. I'm a professional. Yeah. And they have zero experience. And honestly, they have nothing to offer their, the company in which they work for just yet. But yet they finished all the qualifications to earn the title. Therefore, they think that they are whatever they think they are. And I'm thinking, man, those guys don't even know what they don't know. And, and yet they think that they're entitled to all of the accolades that go with the profession and that go with 
that title of being, in this case, a professional horseman, but yet they've not proven themselves at all at any level except on their own. Well, and, and it's tricky. That, to me, be- it's kind of scary. It, it is tricky because, as you've said, it's not like there's a school you can go to to learn to be a horseman. I, I mean, I know there are there are schools, universities that have horse-related programs, but as far as becoming a trainer, there's not a place you can go that hands you a degree and says, all right, now now you're a trainer. Right. Well, what I would recommend to those that are truly thinking about being trainers, number one, go work for trainers and start out at the bottom. And most people, when I say start out at the bottom, most people think, oh man, that means I've got to clean stalls. Now I'm going to tell you something about cleaning stalls. Almost anybody that's ever come to work for me, that's exactly where they start, cleaning stalls. And two reasons. Number one, I want to see your work ethic. And if you can do a job that you just absolutely hate, and let's face it, cleaning stalls is not hard. It's just not fun. It's, there's nothing glamorous about it if you look at it from the standpoint that all you're doing is going in the stall and picking up a bunch of horse shit. That's not glamorous when you look at it that way. But when you look at it from the standpoint that I try to point out to people, I'm going to give you, quite frankly, the sorriest job on the, on the place from one perspective. It's, it's kind of the low man on the totem pole. But I want you to understand, too, the true importance of it. I want you to clean stalls. But when you clean stalls, I want you to watch and observe. If the horse is still in the stall and you're cleaning the stall, watch and observe how the horse behaves. Practice your skills on teaching the horse to give you your space so that you can do your job. And at the same time, watch and observe what the manure looks like when you're picking it up. Is it runny? Is it hard? Is it discolored? All of those things are very, very important facts about the horse, and it's very important facts that you can pass on to the trainer, to the true professional in this case. I need to know, how did that horse eat last night? Did he have any feed left this morning? Has he got hay left over? How did he drink? In other words, you're the first sight, you're the first eyes that that professional has is your observation and how good clear and objective your observation is and how much you can communicate that, that information back to your trainer. You see, so the, the job is not just picking up poop. The job is you're proving to me that number one, you've got good work ethic. You've, you're proving to me that you've got good observation skills and you're telling me about how uh, objective you're being in the observation that you're making. And you're putting all that together so that you can give me a good thorough report on the horses. That is extremely valuable information. So the guy that's cleaning the poop, it might be the quote unquote, the shittiest job in the barn, but it's absolutely one of the most important. When you graduate from there, then you move up to where you're going to be grooming and, you know, catching and grooming the horses and getting them ready. I need to know then as you're brushing the horse, does he have any sensitive spots? Is he worried about certain areas? Is he physically sore in certain areas? You see all of that information that you're observing and that you're watching, and you can pass that on to me as the trainer might just keep me from getting in a bind. It might keep me from even getting bucked off or something if you're watching and paying very close attention to that. At the same time, I'm also watching to see how good you're paying attention to detail. Did you saddle the horse the way that I requested? Did you put which saddle pad on the horse that, that I know needs to go on that particular horse? Did you saddle the horse with a proper saddle, with a proper cinch? Did you braid his mane properly so we don't accidentally step on the horse's tail? Or, or did you braid the, the horse's tail properly so that we don't step on the horse's tail when we're working on backing up and doing rollbacks and turnarounds? 
In other words, did you pay attention to detail? Did you wrap his feet or would you ask you to wrap or did you wrap his legs or did we ask you to wrap his legs? Did you put split boots on him or bell boots on him? All of those things tell me how closely you pay attention to detail and tells me how much you care about the horse and keeping the horse healthy so that the client gets their money's worth from the situation. So you see that job is extremely important. The next job might come up to where I might get you to mount up and, and you're going to be the, the one that's going to warm the horse up. If you just go up there and just jump on him and take off and you get bucked off for a time or two, you're telling me you're not very observant. You're not very aware of what's going on with a horse. You see, so I want to make sure that you're doing, an exercise, doing your exercises and groundwork and you're paying very close attention to the mood and the behavior of the horse before you get on. And then when you do get on, are you still progressing in such a way that you're being observant and watching how the horse works and performs as he gets ready to do his, his task for the day? You see, so in other words, every aspect of that getting to be the quote unquote trainer is a very, very important job. And it's, and when you get really good, and I mean, not really good at doing those other things, I'm not talking about somebody going there and clean a stall. It's not about just getting the job done. It's getting the job done correctly. And you hear me talk about the same thing when I'm talking about getting a horse to overcome an obstacle. It's not about getting over the obstacle. It's not about getting across the bridge, across the creek, in the trailer. It's not about that. It's about doing it correctly and doing it calmly, doing it in a relaxed way that is conducive to progress and conducive to the horse being a happy horse, so to speak. So when you're cleaning the stall and you're doing so that's being productive and you're doing such with a good attitude and, an inf- and you're passing on that really good information, that's what makes you valuable to us. And that's what makes you to the point we can advance you to the next level and so on and so forth. When you can do all of those things, and pay very close attention to detail, now we might get you to the point we'll start working with you to become a quote-unquote trainer. So you see now, that's what I'd really advise people to do. And if you can't go work for other professionals, then you might want to come join apprentice and intern programs like what we offer. But guess what? When you come to our deal, we'll go over the exact same stuff. We'll go over the importance of stall cleaning, the importance of grooming, the importance of groundwork and and the, the warming up the horse in that process. Then we'll start teaching you how to be a trainer. But here's the thing different in my programs, though, Laura. When we're doing the intern and apprentice programs, we don't give anybody a certification at the end of it. Who the hell am I to certify somebody? I'm just another professional. I can't certify you. But what I can do is I, as a professional, and as somebody who's worked very hard to become a respected professional, what I can do is I can report to other prospective uh, to trainers, people who may consider hiring you as an assistant, I can write them a really good reference letter on your behalf. I can write, we call it accreditation program. I can give them good, honest, valuable information about, about your performance with me as an intern or, or uh, apprentice. That, you see, gets your foot in the door to go prove to them that you can be the professional that we trained you to be. So if you can't work for other trainers, then at least go and get involved with a really credible internal apprentice program. So that's what I would advise those younger folks. And then let your other professionals put the title of trainer on you after you've earned it. Don't give it to yourself. You know, anybody can do that. Anybody can go to the print shop and go print a business card that says horse trainer. But I mean, I sadly, <laughs> if... Absolutely. Go to the print shop. If you want to be a trainer, just go buy yourself a halter and a lead rope and call yourself a trainer. Oh, and don't forget the business card. Put your name on there and put on there professional horse trainer. Oh, and also put on there too that you do lessons in clinics also. Do that because that's what all the other trainers do, you see. But the reality is, is that 
it doesn't do the industry. Keep this in mind. I want people to respect the industry. It doesn't do the industry any good whatsoever if you don't have something to offer the industry. Otherwise, if you're not an asset to the industry, you're a liability. And what I mean by liability is you're depleting and diluting the value of a professional horseman who's paid his dues if you don't have something extremely positive to offer. And that's a little bit more than just being the high school flunky that just couldn't get a job anywhere else. You need to say, well, I'm going to use mom and dad's round pen and earn a few bucks. I'd rather see that, that, that young folk have a little bit more respect for the industry and himself than that. And for the client, of course, the horse than yeah. that. Yeah. And I guess then coming back around to the other, the other side of it, I think these, these are all good things to think about for someone, you know, who's got a horse that they need trained. These raise really good questions to ask someone who, who you've been referred to or who you saw their you know, their business card on the, the bulletin board at the, the feed store or something, you know, ask them where they trained, ask them those kinds of questions are going to help you evaluate whether this is the right person to be working with your horse. If you're going to be paying your hard earned money to somebody, you want to make sure you're, you're getting value for it and that your horse is getting the start that it deserves. That and two, like once they do get that horse into that situation with another trainer, I would encourage them to do exactly what you and Mike did. And, you know, you both came out and watched and observed yeah. regularly. Mike wanted to watch and observe because he was going to be the one to do the follow-up. And then you came out because you just wanted to learn a lot of the stuff. You know, you didn't know a lot of the things that you wanted to know. And I can, man, I just remember you coming out countless hours, just watching me work your horse. And in fact, you know, one thing that really sticks out in my mind, I never thought about it until you said that. You remember one of the times that you come out to the ranch and you work me, you watch me work your horse. And I don't remember exactly what the issue was, but the horse was balking at something I was asking it to do. And I just went through and started doing a series of just groundworking exercises. And after a while, the horse kind of began to kind of mesh in with what I was asking it to do. And immediately, and it was a lot of work. I mean, I was working pretty darn hard and the horse was working pretty darn hard. But yet at the end of it, it was as if we were just kind of flowing together. And you said to me, wow, there toward the end, it looked like you two were just dancing together. Yeah. And, you know, and that's exactly what I want folks to realize when things are moving so smoothly with your horse, whether you're on the ground or in the saddle, you know, it's right when it feels like you're dancing with your favorite partner to your favorite song. That's when it's right. Yeah. And that's obviously when I try to quit whenever I'm working with a horse, when we kind of get a few of those really cool, fluid moment, uh, motions, and it's just almost like the horse is just mimicking my step and vice versa. That's the perfect place to quit for the day. That's, that's that horse really grasping onto the lesson that you try to teach it that day. But yeah. I'm so thankful because you see, because that, that day that you made that comment, I mean, you, you were very patient. You watched and went on with, I mean, you didn't, I don't even think you said a word during the whole time I was doing all that. And then right at the end, you were like, wow, it, right there toward the end, it looked like you two were just dancing. Yeah, and I, I thought, that. wow, that was extremely helpful. That, that feedback was very helpful to me because I got to thinking, that's a great way to describe it. And, I, and since then, I've described it many times to people mm -hmm. that it's almost like a dance. Yeah, and I guess in some ways that's an, another episode of the podcast, something that we can talk about more in the future. But I think that's the kind of uh, the level you can get to as a trainer if you've put in the time to do all the things you've talked about and you paid attention 
and learned from the horse the way you have and the way you encourage other people to do. I think there's there, there's probably a lot of things that could be said about this and may, maybe we'll we can talk about it again on another episode another time. I'm imagining that folks are going to have a lot of questions uh, bef- before we give all the kind of the information for people to get in touch with you. Is there anything you wanted to say about this to kind of wrap up this topic? Well, just kind of in summary, we just want to say just for those who are looking for the professionals and, and have maybe even already have a horse in training, just be very respectful of the fact that that is a profession. And their job is just like your job. They have regular hours. And I think it's important for us to respect those hours. To the young trainer, I would advise establish yourself some good hours. Be upfront and open with your with your clients and your prospective clients so that they can develop true expectations instead of unrealistic expectations of your time. And then at the same time, for those who are aspiring to be trainers, think about it very carefully. The failure rate's very high. The job is extremely difficult physically, and, and it's very demanding. And don't do it unless you just truly love it. And you'll find out pretty quick if you love it. If you're up in an atom very early in the morning and you're okay with being out there late at night and working your tail off all hours in between. And then at the same time, if you do have a horse in training and, and you are respectful of those hours, check in with that trainer from time to time and, and uh, participate with him and as, as much as possible. But do so in respect of those hours. And then, of course, like you said, Laura, if, if there's something we missed out on the summary, then um, please, people, send us your questions, send us your concerns, send us your comments. Even if you're pissed off at some of the things we said today and you don't agree, let us know. I'd love to hear that type of feedback just as well. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so then, uh, I'd, I'd love, to hear the, love to hear the feedback. And there are, there are several ways that you can give that feedback that Van's asking for. You can always visit the, uh, the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page and post a comment or a question there. If you want to share your thoughts on this episode with Van privately, you can do that by emailing him at info at vanhargis.com. He sees every email that comes in and he will respond either to you directly or perhaps in a future episode or maybe both. If you uh, can maybe do a favor for Van Hargis Horsemanship, if you get value out of these podcast episodes Maybe you can help spread the word, tell a friend about the podcast, show them how to sign up for it, how to subscribe, take their phone away from them and, and open up the podcast app and subscribe it for them. I've done that for a few few people that I know. And consider leaving a review on iTunes, uh, letting other people know what you think about the podcast. I know that we're, we've kind of gone a little bit long this time. I would refer everybody to the website at vanhargis.com. If you want to see more about what Van's up to, what he, there's all kinds of stuff offered there on the website. The show notes for the podcast are there. The sign up for the Van Hargis Top Hand Club, which is a great resource, whether you are a potential client or a potential trainer. There's lots of information you can you could have access to through the Top Hand Club. So you can check that out on the website. The store is there. And Van's calendar, where he's going to be during this upcoming kind of busy expo and clinic season. Uh, so visit vanhargis.com to check out all that kind of stuff. What, what did I miss, Van? Can't think of a thing, Laura, but since this episode was kind of on the professional aspect and the horse training, I'd like to extend an invitation to anybody that's interested in becoming a professional horse trainer. 
or even just learning a lot more about horses and you'd like to work firsthand with us, we are in the process of finishing our dorm rooms at our new facility, the Crossroads Ranch here in Victoria, Texas. And um, as those dorms get finished, we will start accepting people to come into the program. So we're accepting applications now, and we're going to be starting this program again, both the intern program as well as the apprentice program again this fall. So uh, anybody interested, just send us an information request, and we'll pass that information on to you via email. And uh, we'd love to have folks interested uh, in becoming a professional horse person or just to learn a lot more about their horses and horsemanship. And if they'd like to participate in our programs, just have them get in contact with us at info at vanhargis.com and we'll pass that information on to you. So that program's not only for people who want to be professional horse trainers, but anybody who wants to be a better horseman or horsewoman. Absolutely. Okay. And and the difference between the intern program versus the apprentice program is just the length of time. Okay. One is a little bit more abbreviated. It's a little bit shorter and sweeter. And the other one is much more detailed and spread out over more time. And, uh, and in both cases, we have the, we'll have the dorm rooms ready and available by this fall. So we'd love to have folks come out and spend some time with us and, and, uh, and see what it's really all about on a day-to-day basis. Well, there you go. So I guess that's it. You bet. Well, Laura, as always, I just want to say my deepest appreciation to both you as well as all of our listeners out there that that kind of keep us going. And remember, it's your ride, your trail, your journey. So ride every stride. Mm-hmm.